0: This fall, we're moving through the first letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the faith community in Corinth. The members of that church were struggling to reconcile their ingrained behaviors with the transformative love they had received from Jesus. In today's text, Paul was addressing the division that they were experiencing because of the way they valued, or didn't value, different people in the community. And while it may feel easy for us to say, of course, everyone here is valued and appreciated. Sometimes our actions may say otherwise. Today I want to explore that and then see what the truth is that Jesus offers us instead of that belief. Our text today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 26. Listen now for God's word. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as God chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. God of wisdom and love, we ask that you meet us here in this word. Show us what you want us to know. Quiet the distractions within and without. Shape us into the people you dreamt of at creation. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So as we begin, I think it's helpful to share some insights about what Paul was doing rhetorically when he employed this image of the church as being like a body, as one, but with many members. Scholars tell us that making an analogy between the human body and the way that people ought to relate to one another was very commonplace in that time, but with a very different emphasis and effect. Some would use that metaphor to reinforce a rigid social hierarchy that because a body part was smaller or weaker, it was necessarily ruled by a body parts that were bigger and stronger. This bolstered the argument that those people who were weaker or of a lower social class ought to be ruled over by those who were stronger or of a higher social class. But Paul, as he is wont to do, used this image to make the opposite argument. On this side of the developments in science and biology, we resonate with Paul's words About the body, if you've ever injured one of your fingers or toes, (laughs) you are well aware of how the pain felt in such a small member of the body can completely consume your attention and well being. So, these days when we read this text, we may agree with Paul fairly easily. Yes, sure, everyone matters, everyone has a part to play in the broad scope of things. Yes, sure, we need each other, we need to belong somewhere. We might never say to someone outright, I have no need of you, in those kind of formal, arrogant words. But I wonder, how often do we refuse help when we could really use it? How often do we say, no, it's okay, I got it, I'm fine. Deep down, if we say that we really do need support, we are basically saying, we say that and when we really need it, we're basically saying, I have no need of you. And I think we do that for two reasons. One is that we tend to believe fairly easily that I can do this on my own, even though that's not actually true. In other words, we spend most of our days implicitly saying to each other, I have no need of you. When someone offers a listening ear or to drop off a meal and we refuse, maybe it's because we don't trust them to follow through, or maybe it's because they wouldn't help in the way that we want them to help. But either way, sometimes we end up saying, I have no need of you, which is detrimental to the building up of community. And there's nuance here, of course, because some people's help actually is more work than help. (laughs) There's discernment to be made, right? But I'm talking about those relationships where you can tell that it really might be helpful, that you might be able to take a slightly deeper breath if someone just took care of that one task. And instead, you insist, no, I'm fine. It's no big deal. It's easy to paint a picture of ourselves that is far more capable than we actually are. We walk through our days insisting that we have these superhuman abilities to withstand not enough sleep, or challenges at work, or endless toddler tantrums, mental health struggles. The list goes on. Whatever it is, whatever is hard and exhausting. We tend to approach it with this false assumption that we can handle it all on our own. And then, whenever we inevitably crumble, we are left with a mess that is far bigger than what we were struggling with in the first place. So, to connect this with Paul's metaphor, we need each other. We are not all eyes or feet or ears, we are all different and need different things to thrive. We can't do this thing called life alone. We can't learn how to live out our faith on our own off in a vacuum somewhere. We need each other. There's another lie that we tend to believe that's very similar to the first, but it has different implications. Not only do we tend to believe that we can do this all on our own, we tend to believe that we're supposed to do this on our own. We believe we can do things on our own, and we believe we're supposed to do them on our own, that we're meant to When we get lost in thinking that we can do things on our own, we often can get humbled fairly quickly. Like I said before, if you've injured your finger or your toe, you know what an impact that that makes. But sometimes it can take a lot longer to undo the belief that says we're supposed to do things on our own, that we're meant to do things on our own. Because the flip side of that belief is that just like we implicitly say to others, I have no need of you, We also walk through life thinking that everyone else is implicitly saying to us, I have no need of you. We walk around assuming that whatever we bring to the table is not enough, that it won't benefit anyone. In every new members class, when Jason and I go over some of the fundamental beliefs of our shared faith, we talk about the reality of sin and its root is pride. And we talk about how pride shows up in two ways. It's both the arrogance of thinking we can do things on our own and the self-centeredness of thinking that we are just too awful to be saved. Both of these involve a lot of thinking about ourselves and very little thinking about God or other people. And sometimes we hold the pride of both of those things. We both think we can do it on our own, and but inwardly we think, I am not enough. I am too bad to be loved and redeemed. So how do we strike this balance? How do we occupy a space that acknowledges both our needs and our gifts that we bring with us into community? There's a verse in the middle of this passage that shows us the way. Paul wrote, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker... Are indispensable the members that seem to be weaker are indispensable when we are living into the lie that we can do all this on our own this text challenges us to remember that we might not seem to need help but the help that we can receive is indispensable it's necessary it's essential And on the flip side, when we're living into the lie that we're supposed to do this all on our own, that we have nothing to value for someone else, this text challenges us to remember that even if we seem to have less to offer, we are indispensable to the church, necessary, essential. In other words, without you, something would be missing. Without every single person in this room, this church, this body would be incomplete. Because the truth is when there's one person who has enough energy and time to give to someone else being generous with those that energy and time brings the giver deep joy and delight if that person were to refuse that help we deprive them of that joy and on the other hand when we think that our energy and our time is not enough to share so we hold it to ourselves we're depriving someone else of the help that they need there's discernment to this. It's not always cut and dry. But the point is, there's a, it's a gift to be cared for, and it is a gift to do the caring. The more we insist we can do it on our own, and the more we insist that whatever we have is not enough to do any good, we are missing out on the joy and the freedom and relief that God is working so hard to bring to each and every one of us very soon we're going to be starting to talk about stewardship in worship ahead of Consecration Sunday on November 13th. The majority of our operating budget comes from the faithful gifts of the people sitting in these pews. Any good that you've experienced here, any comfort, any strength, is the result of God taking what others have offered and creating something bigger and more beautiful than any one of us could create on our own. It will be easy as we get into stewardship season, to talk more about stewardship and annual pledges, to think that whatever you have will be too small, that it wouldn't matter if you pledged, that it wouldn't be as important as larger pledges. And for those who do give larger pledges, it can be easy to judge smaller gifts as not sacrificial enough. But this text and our lived reality of God in our midst reminds us of the exact opposite, Everyone's contributions are valuable. Large or small, seemingly strong or seemingly weak, all are indispensable, necessary, essential. I want to leave you with an image of what this looks like in the life of Old Pine in this current season. In the Presbyterian Church, we ordain elders to oversee the organization and administration of the church, and we ordain deacons to oversee caring for the community. Both of these groups meet regularly and make decisions that have impacts on each and every one of us. This past week, our elders who were serving on session, this is the board of the the church, met together to discern the best way forward of our capital campaign uh, construction plans. They were joined by folks on the property committee and presentations were prepared uh, with a joint effort from property and finance and folks who are working with the capital campaign We're at a point where there's a number of different ways that we could move forward, and all of them have different long-term implications for this church community. Taking into account grants received and yet to be received, and pledges and gifts received and yet to be received, various projects with different levels of urgency, all dedicated to being fiscally responsible stewards on behalf of every member here. It was a massive undertaking. And as Jason and I looked around the table and on that Zoom screen, it was just so apparent that what Paul talked about in this text was being lived out loud right in front of us. Around that table were people who were project managers and architects, lawyers and finance directors, educators and more. Around that table were parents and single folks, young folks, slightly less young folks, (laughs) wildly different skill sets, different appetites for risk, different experiences and wisdom, different opinions and thoughts. And yet through prayer and respect and living this text out loud, valuing each and every voice the same as the next, that incredibly diverse group came to a strong consensus. That incredibly diverse group came up with a clear way forward for completing the majority of the capital campaign projects while also formulating a plan to complete some other projects over the course of the next few years, all with sustainability and care for you, the folks in this room, at their heart. Each one of those folks were indispensable. Each one of you are indispensable. It was beautiful. It was the body of Christ. It was the church in action. It took time, and it took effort, and it took work, but it was beautiful. And what's so amazing is that the body of Christ is wherever two or three believers are gathered. So in this room, each and every person is indispensable, necessary, essential to the makeup of this community, to the beauty of this community of faith. God designed it in this way, and God sustains us in this way of being together. The good news is that we can't do things on our own and that we're not supposed to. The good news is that we belong to God and to each other. What a gift. May we never take it for granted. Amen.